Hey, how's it going? I'm Dan Williams and you're listening to my new podcast. This has been created in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic with so many people self-isolating and unable to get outdoors and with an ever-increasing amount of people out of work, an inspiring entrepreneurial explosion is taking place. However, many don't know where to begin or they find the whole process overwhelming. With some of my amazing connections and friends, I want to share some stories and insights to help inspire and ignite that fire within you. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my guest, Gary King. Gary followed in his father's footsteps into engineering. That wasn't then enough. Then he joined a FTSE two billion pound business. And again, wasn't quite satisfied with that. So then wanted to set up a business on his own. So um, Gary King, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks Good for coming morning. On. Good morning. There you go. Thanks for coming on, Gary. It's an yeah, interesting plant that you're bringing onto it from a mentoring perspective. So if you could just talk through your background in a bit more detail and then I'll just chip in. Yeah, sure. Well, look, I, as I say, I followed in my dad's footsteps. He, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, to be fair. He was an engineer. So I actually went for, a, um, for an interview at the, the Bambo, actually, in Leeds that make the tanks for the MOD and uh, for a management apprentice. And, and I didn't get the job. So I thought, you know what, I'll give it a go. And there was actually a stepping stone before that FTSE 100 business. I went into a private manufacturing business, very entrepreneurial, market leaders. And they were really taking advantage of the huge telecoms boom uh, through the 80s. Right, okay. And I started there as a management apprentice. And, you know, I'm, I'm always one of those that if it's not broken, break it. Oh, okay. That's interesting. And, yeah. You know, whereas everybody says, you know, if it ain't broken, <laughs> it doesn't need fixing. I said, no, let's break. And I was always the one saying, why are we doing it that way? Why are we doing it like this? Why don't we try this? And I was constantly told to get back in my box. And I was about five years in and, and, a, and a senior management position came up. It was two levels above. And I went for the job. And I was, I was very raw, I was very green. And I went yeah. for this job and I was actually competing with a number of people that were at a level above me, including my current boss and my previous boss, both who were good friends. And I finished up getting this job. And how old were you at that point? I was 24. <laughs> so I finished up, I finished up with, with 45 people working for me at 24 years old. And I'd got the job over and above six or seven people that were all, all at a higher level than me. And, and as I say, one was my current boss and one was my previous boss. Okay. So there was a little bit of um, emotion from them. But then three of the people that had gone for the job that weren't successful finished up working for me. That's insane. And was that when you, when the job was advertised and you were going for it, was that, um, cause I'm definitely of the opinion that like go for every opportunity that comes your way. Um, and if you don't get it, you can crack on, you learn yeah. from it anyway. And be, did you, when you were going for the job, did you actually genuinely believe you were going to, like you were a good candidate for it or you just saw it as experience at that point? Well, I, th I, thought, I thought, do you know what? I thought I had a fighting chance. Yeah. Um, but I thought, do you know what, if I, if I'm not successful and I'm, and I'm, I'm against some pretty good competition that are more experienced, that are more senior, that are older than me, I said, but it's going to put a marker in the sand. It's going to say to them, I'm ambitious. I want a role. But actually what the, the feedback was, and it was really interesting about a year before that we were in a recession. So it was a recession at the end of the nineties and all the telecoms people stopped spending money on equipment yeah. So, we'd, you know, we'd laid a few people off. 
would, would cost cut. And I was at a time when I got paid overtime and they stopped overtime across the business. And everybody went home at five o'clock apart from me. I stayed back and everybody called me all the names. And why are you staying back? You're not getting paid for it. I says, because I'm learning and I'm achieving results. And whatever I'm learning and achieving results, it's going to help me in the long term. Were you a joiner at the time as well? No, no, I was, no, I was a management apprentice. So it was engineering. So I was in the design department. Yeah. So I, I was, I was kind of carried on with my work. I got my projects done, but, the, the, but you liked the, what you were doing at the time. Though. I, I loved it. I loved what I was yeah, doing. That helps, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah I, and, 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 you know, for me, it's all about seeing that success. It's about seeing that win. It's about learning and achieving every day. And as I say that I got criticized by my friends, my peers, my, even my boss for staying back. Yeah. But so when they gave me the job, they said, well, there's two things. And, and one is, um, one is, they said, your work ethic, you're the one that stayed behind. You're the one that worked harder than everybody else. You're the one that stood out when everybody else was going home. That really, that really has given us an indication that you're a hard worker and you're prepared to do what it takes. But the second thing, and I don't know whether it's psychological, because it was two joint managing directors, they said, we believe that you can do this, but everybody else on the board questions our decision. Yeah, okay. And for me, I was always the kind of one, if somebody said, you can't climb that tree, I'll go and climb that tree. Huh. You know, if you can't run that quick or you can't kick that, you know, I was always one that that always motivated me. And I think they knew how to motivate me. Yeah. And I think that, that for me was the stepping stone in my career. It's, it's interesting because even at 24, the, a lot of people who are older than you and then your bosses and stuff like that, they were actually calling you out, but you still had the resilience to carry on doing it regardless and ignoring what they were saying. Because normally it's just a reflection on, on, on themselves more than a reflection on you. Well, so. I think it can, it can be, but I think it's, you know, it's how, you know, I, I, I grew up in a very working class environment, you know. You know, my dad was a breadwinner, my mum was the housewife, you know, we never had a great deal of money. So it was always about work ethic. It was always about sticking together, doing the right thing, having that work ethic. And for me, you know, if you, know, if you don't have that in a value and that work ethic, then, you know, you criticize other people, don't you? Yeah, you do. And, and so for me, when, when they knocked overtime on the head and I, was, I, I, I saw that as an opportunity to stop learning and stop achieving, and I thought, no, it's not about the money. It's about this building me up to be the person that I want to be in the future. So those intrinsic values, that's what I always find it fascinating when yeah. people are um, trying to motivate teams with money. That's not the motivator. You need to no. dig a bit deeper into people's values and what, what does motivate them intrinsically, I think. Yeah, look, it, look money, money's, I always say money's a short-term motivator. You know, somebody that's unhappy with the pay, somebody that's threatening to leave and go elsewhere, you know, you can offer them some money, they'll stay. But the, the very issues that cause them to question whether they wanted to be in that business then just resurface in two or three months' time. Yeah. So, so money can never be a motivator, but I think it's a demotivator. If, for example, you're doing a job at the same level as somebody else and getting paid less than them, and there's no justification. So I think it can be a demotivator. But yeah. So, yeah, so I, you know, we went from eight clients in, in 1989 to 600 overnight because we cut our ties with the, the intermediary in the market. So my job was to put an infrastructure in place to go from eight clients to 600 in the UK. So of course I had my work cut out. 
<laughs> and the only way that I could possibly achieve that is to to take the team with me, to inspire the team, to develop a plan, to 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 mentor and motivate the the members of the team that wanted to come with me, to challenge those that were questioning whether we had the right plan and the right ambition. And fast forward two years, we'd actually delivered the results. And the, my bosses came to me and said, look, not only are we absolutely delighted with the results you've achieved, the rest of the board can see why we made that decision. Oh, incredible. And they said, we've now got another problem in another department. Can you go in there and head that department up as well? Which is what I did. Nice. So I, I, for a period of time, I was almost seen as the red adair in the business, you know, the one that was parachuted in to tackle a particular issue, a challenge. And so with that, you've got to develop a plan. You've got to understand the team you need to deliver that plan. You've got to inspire and motivate the team. You've got to weed out the detractors. And you've got to then just, you know, sit down and work hard with your team and deliver that plan. And, and that's all I did. How were you then? You must be quite grounded because a lot of people that can fall into a, um, a trap where their ego gets the better of them, especially when you start getting all this praise and you go into another team and you're seen as a bit of a hero internally. But so how do you go into a new team and start getting the best out of those guys without them feeling threatened by you going in? Well, I think, I think you, what you've got to do is you've got to, you've got to paint a vision. You've got to say, look, this, this is where we want to be. This is why we want to be there. And this is what we need to achieve it. And, you know, I, it's all about engaging the team. Say, how do you think we can achieve this? What are the barriers that we need to knock over? What resources do we need to implement it? So, you know, you can't do anything without the team around you. Now, now you can be a manager and you can beat and kick and scream. And, you know, th th that's one way of getting results, but it's a short term. For yeah. me, leadership's about engaging with those people that work for you. It's about encouraging them to take ownership, to do the right thing. And, you know, a leader will be somebody that educates and trains a leader to educate and train a leader. Yeah. So it, can, it has this, this cascade effect. Yeah, nice. Um, so for me, it's all about inspiring the team to pull together and work towards a joint vision yeah yeah i couldn't agree more with that and then so then, then what happened after that one well i was there i was all i was i was there 14 years uh the two directors were in the mid 50s very successful and the business had plateaued okay. you know they weren't that ambitious to take it to the next level uh, there was a little bit of organic growth but i saw some huge potential for the organization but you know, they, they, they were comfortable financially. They had everything they needed. You know, the families were secure and everything. So, so for them, there was no immediate rush to change anything. Yeah. And for me, you know, they had a board of directors that were largely yes men. And, and that was fine because it was delivering great results. But I was the one that was continuing to question, you know, why can't we get into domestic air conditioning? There's a five million pound market in the UK. Why can't we develop this product? Why can't we do it this way? And it became very, very clear to me that, they wanted to just continue as they were because in, in their eyes they were successful and they were. So it, it was just time for me to go and find a fresh challenge. Now I actually went to their competitors, I went to number two in the market. Right, okay. But it was at the back end of the recession and I ruffled a few too many feathers. Because, and, and that was my role. I was asked by the MD to go in and ruffle feathers. Yeah. 
but what he did is he put me he put me reporting into the operations director who didn't like feathers being ruffled. <laughs> That's a good combo. Um, yeah. So, so you know, eight weeks later, the business hit a little bit of a downturn, and I was I was one of the people that suffered as a result. So I left there after two months, and then I got this opportunity to go into a FTSE 100 engineering business that was, uh, was turning over what a couple of billion. Yeah, and and it was very say it was the same engineering skills. It was just making a different product. And my job was effect change. So again, I was just doing exactly the same as I've been doing for the previous number of years in my career. I was given a, a challenge. I was to go in there and implement change and take the team with me. Okay, and okay. that's exactly what I did. Is is I developed a strategy with the team. I got the team engaged. I weeded out the people that weren't right. I got the financials in place so we could track success and we just delivered results. And um, how did that, how big was the, the company previously? I mean, the, the one you were at previously? That was, that was about a 45 million turnover business globally. Still, still big. So was there a different in company cultures at that point? Massive, massive. Um, yeah. You know, the first business was, you know, it's one of those places where, where you either stayed for a couple of years and you just didn't fit in or you stayed yeah. there for life. Yeah. You know, people were well paid. Uh, they didn't particularly crack the whip. You know, they were rel- well rewarded, well trained. And there was very much a family culture. Yeah. I then walk in and, and, and with that, probably not so much accountability because there is this kind of family culture. Um, I walk into a corporate business and, you know, spreadsheets, reports, forecasts, Revised forecasts, revised spreadsheets, yeah. KPI mad. Literally, I used to get a spreadsheet every morning with a previous day's sales that had 22,000 lines of text on it. <laughs> and I had to manipulate. These were the bits that I was responsible for and what was my action plan to do anything about it. Yeah. So we went to the so complete, op- manipulating a sheet mostly yeah, every the complete day. opposite end of the scale where there were KPI mad and results mad. And if you didn't deliver results, you were out and they brought the next person in. Complete opposite ends of the scale. And without assuming anything, which did you like that? Look, I, I think I did and I didn't. I'm not one that likes being told what to do. I think my wife would would kind of agree with that. I think that's a common thing. Uh, well, it's just what <laughs> no shit. But um, you know, I think what it did do is it taught me some disciplines around numbers, around finance, around accountability that had perhaps been missing from my previous role. Sure. So what it did do is it complemented those skills that I had and actually took them to the next level. So, you know, I had to, I had to kind of navigate through the culture and I had to kind of dodge some of the bullets that have fired your way. Cause I don't play the politics. A lot of yeah. people did. Um, but I used, I used what I could learn as an opportunity to add to those previous skills and take me and my capabilities to the next level. And that goes back to right back to the beginning when yes, where you were working longer hours because you wanted to continue to learn and stuff like that. So yeah. you're definitely seeing every opportunity that you get in. And then how long were you there for, Gary? Well, I was there nine years. Wow. I did a number of roles. Um, I got to the point though where I was a, I was an MD, so I was I was going into businesses that were needed a turnaround. Yeah. So I'd go in, you know, worked incredibly hard, get the team with me, get the strategy, the finances, the plan, all that kind of stuff. But in the nine years that I was there, I think I had six or seven 
direct reports, uh, sorry, six or seven people that I reported into. So there was a constant change above me. And every time somebody new came in, you had to prove yourself, you had to reset all the switches. And, you know, there was a new strategy every, every kind of few months. And, you know, it was a very political environment. And I just got to the point where I'd had enough. You know, I was working 70, 80 hours a week. I was making myself ill, my relationship, my, you know, the time I was spending with my family was suffering. Sure. Yeah. And there was one particular scenario where it was a trigger for me. So I had this boss and, you know, he's relatively new. And this particular month, we'd forecast because, you know, you've got a cyclical business. We'd actually forecast to lose, I don't know, 25 grand. That's what we'd forecasted. So as long as I hit budget, I was okay. And we managed to we managed to just get a few things over the line. We got some extra sales in. We got some cost savings. We, you know, we implemented a few measures that were ahead of time. And instead of losing twenty five, we made fifty five thousand pounds. Yeah. So we had an eighty thousand pound swing in profit, not in revenue, in profit. And I, I thought, you know, that's a great result. That is. It's a great result, yeah. You know, this was a business that was losing seven figures before I walked in a couple of years earlier. Yeah. We've now made £80,000 in a month alone. And I rang him up and, and said, look, you, you might be pleased to know, I know you're going on holiday tomorrow, you might be pleased to know we've had this massive swing in results and this is a result of delivered for you. And he paused and he said, that just tells me you're not very good at forecasting and put the phone down. <sighs> and I thought... <laughs> If that's the best you can do, then I need to be somewhere else. <laughs> the ironic thing is, that's why you do forecast, because then you can do exactly what you did. <laughs> but, but, you know, that, that was the culture we were in, is that, you know, his view was that that would show him up for not being able to forecast, because obviously I forecast to him, he forecasts his up. So his view was that that would make him look ridiculous. <laughs> so rather than kind of saying, well done, that's a great result, and then seeing how he could manipulate that to save face, you know, there was a there was a, an implied criticism of me and the team for for what we delivered, and I thought I can't work in this environment. That was a morale booster. Yeah, like, <laughs> enjoy your holiday, boss. You know, um, and you know what? This same guy, uh, you know, and they're all look, incredibly intelligent and all the rest of it. Um, I had to send a, a board report in every month, and it had to be in on this particular day every month. And this one month, I said, look. I'm on holiday um, this month. I can send the report before I go. I can send it a couple of days after when I get back, but I can't send it on the particular day because I'm going to be on holiday. And the problem with sending it before is that we didn't have all the month's figures in, so we couldn't give an end of month set of figures. And I said, look, don't worry about it, Gary. Um, go, go this month without sending a report. Anyway, on the particular day that the report's due, I get this phone call. I'm sat on a bar, uh, on a beach in Barcelona. Phone goes, where's your report? We agreed that I wasn't going to send you a report. No, I'm sorry, I can't remember that conversation. I need a report. So what, give me 90 minutes, I'll get something knocked together for you. So I grabbed my computer, da -da -da -da, pulled together a report, but accidentally I clipped the previous month's report. Right, okay. I, 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 I clipped... The, I don't know, the, the, the August report, not the September report, yeah. whatever. And I, and I realized my mistake like about an hour later and I thought, you know what, I'm not, I'm not even going to get involved. I'm sat on a bar, I'm sat on a beach, having a beer. So I got back, I got back on the Monday and I said, uh, was that board report okay? 
Yeah, absolutely fine, thank you. So you read through it? Yeah, I looked at it, yeah. Absolutely fine. No, but it didn't look at it any month. Yeah. And that was the thing, is it was just more of a, a, it's a command and a bullying rather yeah. than a, you know, that I'm getting value from this. And he actually wasn't reading the reports. And I thought, you know, it's time for me to move on. This is yeah. making me ill. Okay. Time for me to move on. That's insane. So then what did you do after that? Well, I, do you know what? I've been mentoring team members. I've been mentoring apprentices and graduates and junior members of staff. And I loved it. And it was 2010, late 2010. And I actually, I left. I, I negotiated an opportunity to leave. So I sat at home one night and um, I was actually chatting to a guy that was based in Italy that we'd had a collaboration discussion with about three or four months earlier. He had some products that would fill gaps in our range. Yeah. So I put this white paper into the board and said, look, rather than us developing these products that are going to take months and cost thousands of pounds in product development, why don't we just partner with this guy? He wants to get into the UK. So he doesn't compete with us. He wants us to have a sole agreement. We'll use his products to complement our range. Everybody's happy. And they said, no, we're not encouraging competition. We're not interested. Fine. So I was connected to this guy on social media. So I'm on social media one night and I get a message off him saying, hey, how's it going at work? And I said, it isn't. I've left. And he said, oh, why? I said, well, I don't want to get into why. I said, but I'm kind of sat here twiddling my thumbs thinking, what next? And he says, do you still want to um, represent us in the UK? He says, what do you mean? He says, well, you've got the contacts. You're on the patch. You know the product and the market inside out. We're still looking for somebody to supporters in the uk would you be our head of sales and marketing in the uk i went yeah that sounds like a good idea i can do that he says would you mind flying over to italy for four days next week and i'm going oh twist my arm <laughs> so he flew me over to italy showed me around the facility taught me through his product range and his and his his vision for the business and said look i, I want to pay you to represent our business every single month so i was kind of doing interim sales if you like where Managing directors don't have the time or the capability or sometimes the skills. So I thought I'd do this interim sales role because I was on the patch and I knew the products and the customers. And I thought, you know, if I could add one more customer doing that, because there's a gap in the market for that, if I could add one new customer each quarter, I'm going to be in a good place. And that's what I did for the first couple of years. That's funny. When I was chatting to another guy called Stephen, Steve Shortland, he, um, he was describing something similar. So it shows how much it's about treating people and um, keeping these relationships going because he found himself out of work and then an opportunity came up and then he, he went on his own and started doing something exactly a similar way to you. So I think yeah, that's Do you know what? It, you know, it's all about, for me, it's all about relationships. Yeah. You know, there, there might be somebody that you don't see any particular opportunity with at that moment in time, but you know, if I can add value to them, if I can support them, if I can just, you know, I give, you know, the odd half an hour call or who can I introduce you to, it builds advocacy and you just never know when you want to call on those people. Yeah. And, you know, I've got a black book that's got plenty of contacts in and I know that if I need to pull something out of a hat for myself or somebody else, then I can call in a favor because I've, yeah. I've given more than I've taken. That's why I find LinkedIn's now like that little black book for so many different people. Oh, absolutely. But and look, you can you can become a cropper because it's easy to have people in your black book that are not good. So for me, I've I've spent ten years cleansing, filtering out the good, the bad, and yeah. the ugly. Um, 
But you know what was interesting is I did that interim sales for a couple of years and it wasn't perhaps delivering the results that I would have liked. And when I, when I reflected on it, it was because for most of them, the sales strategy wasn't right. Because if the sales strategy was right, they could deliver it themselves, right? Yep. The reason it wasn't working was, yeah, a little bit of time because an MD is busy spinning all these other plates. Or if they even had a strategy, yeah, people don't even have one at all. Yeah, yet. absolutely. So I, I went back and said, you know what? I've got all of these skills. I've been a sales director. I've been a key account director. I've looked after multi-million pound accounts. I know how to construct a sales strategy. So what I did is I said to all prospective clients in future, I'll work with you on an interim sales basis. But first, we've got to put a sales strategy in place because if, if I believe in the sales strategy, I'll believe in the results it'll deliver. Yeah. So we, delivered, we, we developed those sales strategies. But what happened with a lot of people uh, with strategy is they stick it in the top drawer. Yeah. And they think, I'll look at it next week, and they never do. So you know, I was busy delivering the results, but then we'd review it in a few months. The business owner had done not a great deal with that strategy. So I said, well, look, it's pointless having a strategy if you're not going to do anything with it because it's not going to deliver results. So what I'm going to insist on is I'm going to insist that we sit down periodically to review the strategy and I help you implement the strategy where you're struggling to implement it. So that's where the kind of mentoring piece came in. Yeah. And as that morphed over the next couple of years, I did less and less of the interim sales because I said to business owners, actually, you're the one that should be doing the sales. You're the one that's passionate about your product and your business. You're the one that can look a customer in the eye and make promises that I couldn't. Yeah. But what I will do is I'll help you from a business strategy point of view, build a team that allows you to do that. Because most business owners are not selling because they're back at the ranch doing all this other stuff that comes of running a business. Sure. So I changed, I changed tack really to say, let me build, let me work with you to build the team and a set of systems and structures that allow you to go out and sell and the business still runs and grows. And that's kind of really led me to where I am today. So, and that's Tendo, is it? That's Tendo, yeah. So we're 10 years old in September. Wow. And what, so I call this Pocket Mentors for exactly this reason, actually, because people like you are giving like absolute gold and everyone I'm talking to. But what does, um, when you describe like having a mentor, what does a mentor mean to you? Um, accountability. Yeah. Um, having a wise, a wise person to chat to, to bounce ideas off somebody that's going to give you some tough love and tell you that your baby's ugly. Uh, mentor, somebody that can be shoulder to cry on, somebody that'll put their arm around you, somebody that'll kick you up the backside if you need it. But a mentor for me, over and above everything else, is somebody that's got the experience, the credibility, and the results they've delivered. That they, they bring experience that you don't have. Yeah. So for me, a mentor is somebody that's been there and they've trodden that path and they can provide answers to the questions that you have. Yeah, no, perfect. No, I agree. That's why I think um, we were talking before we started the actual podcast well, and the importance of having a mentor by a side. I also see mentors in the form of like podcasts and you know people you respect that have been there and done it and books you can read from people. So who is... Um, Who's been your biggest like, influence or mentor? Uh, do you know what? I, I, I don't think I could pinpoint it on one person because I'm the kind of guy that I've learned through my career to surround yourself with yeah. the right people. And I think going through that cleansing exercise because you can keep detractors around you for, for loyalty reasons. My dad was, was and still is a huge inspiration. My dad has been 
my dad's had his fingers in more business pies than enough. And he's, <laughs> bless him, he's been, he's been barely successful at many of them. Right, yeah. But just that dogged determination and that opportunity to spot an idea that nobody else would spot is, is really what drives me today. Yeah. And then the, the, the guy that was one of the joint MDs in that first business that I mentioned, uh, again, incredibly tough to work for, real tough cookie, both on the rugby pitch and in business. Um, dogged, um, single-minded, autocratic. But again, he saw an idea and an opportunity and just went for it. And he took a calculated risk. And, and basically, him and his business partner were, were in this sector. They went to their incumbent employers and said, look, we've got this idea for this new product. We think all of these telecoms businesses are going to need these big buildings that need cooling down. Here's an idea for a product. And they said, oh, you're nuts. So they both left and set up their own business. And, you know, 20 years later, it's turning over 45 million quid. So the fact that they saw an idea and were prepared to take the risk, you know, it was, it was a pain in the ass sometimes to work for, but his sheer dogged determination was, was just incredibly powerful for me. Yeah. No, and if I fast that forward, you know, I've got and had a number of mentors and coaches over the last few years, still have. Yeah. You know, I'm a massive advocate of mentoring. I would be if I am one. Um, but, you know, I've got, I've got a mentor, I've got a coach, I've got a number of experts that I dial into for various different, you know, whether it be accounting or HR or branding or whatever it might be. Yeah. Just having high quality, value aligned people around you that you can tap into, that you can chat to, that you can learn from is, oh, is, is so important. And is that what Tendo does? Yeah, well, it's, it's business mentoring. So mentoring is all about helping a client clarify the vision, develop the plan, and basically offer them the guidance, support, and answers they need to help them deliver on that plan. So for me, there's too many, I mean, there's what, 5.7, 5.8 million small business owners in the UK. And for, for most of them, they're trapped. You know, I was having a conversation with a guy on LinkedIn the other day to say, you know, those businesses that are struggling financially, and it was a bit tongue-in-cheek, but I said there's many businesses struggling financially at the moment because they've not built up a war chest. And they've not built up a war chest either because they're building the wrong business, they're spending too much money, they've got the wrong strategy. And he came back at me and said that was naive. Now, this is a guy that clearly isn't making a great deal of money and thinks that that is the only way to do business. So for me, it's about, helping a business owner have the choice and the freedom to choose where, when, and how to work. Because yeah. there's too many are stuck doing emails, stuck working when they should be on vacation and switching off and spending time with the family. And they're stuck in that kind of hamster wheel of business where they don't have a choice. Yeah, so definitely. for me, it's about giving them that choice so they can choose. Yeah, definitely. completely agree. What about um, as people in businesses, but if there was someone, um, especially with this going on at the moment, they're sat at home and they've either been made redundant or they're really, they're, they've suddenly realised now they've got a bit of time on their hands that actually it's not what they like doing at all when they finally want to do something that they love doing. How would, what advice would you give them or how would they go about finding a mentor that would work or a coach? Or Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, and again, this whole trap thing is important to me. And these are people that are employed and business owners that are doing a job that they don't love, that they're not passionate about, that have lost the mojo. 
yeah. for, for a hundred different reasons. And I always say, if you're not doing what you love every single day, you're building the wrong business. Yeah. Now it might be that you've got the right business, but you're stuck doing all this other stuff. So you need to, you need to kind of find a way through that. I, I was having a conversation with a guy yesterday who's, you know, he's had, he's been through personal tragedy recently and he's realized that actually the job that he was doing and very successful at it, it was just going through the motions. So through this tragedy he set up a foundation and there's a real kind of, despite the sadness in his eyes because of what's happened, yeah. as soon as he started to talk about the foundation and the opportunities and I can get on stage keynoting and we can go and deliver this resource to all these business owners all of a sudden he started getting animated. Yeah, yeah. I've not seen you that animated for years. And it's because he suddenly found something that ignites his passion. And there's too many people for me going through emotions and they're not having their passion ignited every day. So, you know, go out, take advice from people around you that have got a mentor. Who are they using? Who are they engaging with? Who's delivered results most and form, first and foremost? Because there's a lot of people out there claiming they're an expert and they don't yeah. deliver results. And it's an unregulated market. And, and this is a problem for me. There's nearly 50,000 experts in the UK because it's an unregulated market. So, you know, you can be a school teacher, leave, buy a franchise, and all of a sudden you're a business coach. <laughs> yeah. that, that just really doesn't sit comfortably with me. Yeah, now, if you've, if you've built and sold a business and buy a franchise, you kind of fundamentally got no problem with that. Albeit, if you can deliver results, why don't you deliver your own rather than somebody else's? Yeah. If you see what I mean. But so I, I, I'm involved in a membership organization called the Association of Business Mentors. Okay. And this, the lady that set it up sold her business about seven or eight years ago. And the expertise that she got wasn't as credible and professional as she would have wanted. So she realized that there was this credibility gap in the market. So she set up the ABM. And so all members of the ABM, and there can be coaches, consultants, mentors, trainers, even people that are offering advice and expertise that go through a credibility check. You know, we check up on references. We look at their experience, look at the capabilities, and only if they meet certain criteria can they join the ABM. Yeah. And what that does is it, is it gives me a badge above the door you know, if I'm, if I'm going toe to toe with another expert, um, you know, for a customer that needs some help, I go, well, just check whether they're a credible professional, you know, member of the ABM. So the ABM is about kind of, you know, encouraging mentors to go through a training and a development program. We're looking at CPD over the next few months, mm -hmm. but we also want it to be a place where business owners can be signposted to the right expertise. So what we're now saying to business owners that need some help or feeling a bit trapped or overwhelmed is go to the ABM, register your details, tell them the kind of mentor that you're looking for, and they'll signpost you to somebody in your geography or with the expertise you need or the skills you need and just have a conversation with them. So we want to, we want to signpost the right expertise to business owners that need it most. Yeah. No, that's fascinating. With the, um, the, doing something you love and that guy you were talking about with like grief in his eyes, but yeah. that gave me goosebumps actually. So it clearly resonated. But um, when you, when you see people doing something they love that they do, their whole face lights up differently, doesn't it? And you can absolutely passion. I definitely found myself, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years ago, um, going through the motions, not really knowing. 
I was probably doing something I loved, but I wasn't even really aware of what it was I was doing or what yeah. part of it I loved doing. Have you got any advice on how you find something that you love rather than, because a lot of people, especially young, go, oh, I love playing football. And you kind of, but... Yeah, look, I think, I think we've hit the nail on the head. It's got to be that bit where, you step, where your eyes light up and your face lights up and you start to get animated. You know, I, was, I, was, I, was, I did a little bit of work with a guy who came to me about 12 months ago. He had a, he had a woodworking business. Who's making these, you know, these little alcoves you get either side of your, your kind of chimney breasts in old houses. And he was building bookcases and all this kind of stuff. And he's a very, very good woodworker, but there's not a great deal of money in it. And it was at, just at that tipping point where he was trapped, where he needed to invest heavily in the business, marketing people's systems to grow it. But he wasn't generating enough money in order to be able to invest. So he was kind of, he was trapped. And, and he was very good at what he did, and he, he convinced himself that he loved it. But he, there was no, there was no animation and no emotion in his voice when he talked about it. And then in in one of the early conversations, he started to talk about where he'd set up this YouTube channel. And this YouTube channel was giving loads of tips and expertise to other woodworkers. Oh, amazing! And yeah. he built this YouTube channel to like. 2000 subscribers that's amazing and as soon as he started talking about all these com you know people that were competitors come into him and say how do you do this and how do you do that and all of a sudden he starts getting all animated and his arms are going and his eyes light up and i go we've just found the gold dust yeah this is what do you mean this is we've been digging and digging for a couple of weeks now and there's been nothing we've now just hit we've just found gold i said we've just found that little golden nugget this is why you've got a problem in your business you're working long hours, you're delivering great results, but you're not, it's not igniting your passion. What I've just found is something that ignites your passion. So what we need to do is build a business that allows that to run by itself, have the team run it, but it gives you the freedom to be able to do your YouTube bit. And if you get YouTube bit right, not only are you going to generate money from YouTube because you can get you know, financial subscribers, but it's going to generate business for the main company. But that's the beauty with the YouTubes and Instagrams and TikToks. Now, especially with people sat at home, if you genuinely love doing something and you're not worried about, there's so many people saying it about the followers. And so if you're not worried about your followers and all that happening at the minute, but you keep doing what you love doing and sharing it and, and it's authentic and you've got that genuine passion, people are going to love watching, love watching it and they'll learn so much yeah. stuff. And look, one of the biggest lessons for me was, um, and th this came from, you know, you talked a little bit about that ego earlier. You know, when I, when I was in my early days in the corporate business, you know, I was getting paid a big salary, big bonus, flash car. You know, it's easy to have an ego, and I had a bit of an ego at the time. And, you know, you soon get brought down to, to earth. But for me, it's, you know, it's not about the number of followers you've got. It's about getting that message out there consistently. and it's about not trying to please everybody. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't care now whether, you know, how much the shirt on my back costs. I don't care whether anybody likes it or not. I used to do. I don't now. Yeah. Why? Why? Because what's important to me is I've got the love of the family around me. I've got a roof over my head. I've got a business that I love being in every single day. Yeah. And I get a lot of people on social media call me out. I don't like this. I don't agree. You're naive. Some guy calling me out the other day saying my post was provocative. <laughs> you know purposely provocative because he didn't agree with the answer yeah. and those people used to really upset me it's now, really I find, I find it upsetting when people get upset by that sort of stuff and i get it but 
if you're if you're doing something right, you're definitely because you, you can't please everyone, can you? So if you are doing something right and you're pleasing a lot, we were talking about yin and yang before we started the thing. You're going to have the people that don't like it, and they'll be low, and you can't even begin to understand the reasons why. It won't even be about you or the content. It'll be about how they're feeling, what they've got going on. Well, look, I had a guy. You know, I'm going back four or five years ago. He came to me with this, with this in his eyes, this fabulous product. And he could see he could see one of these in every house in the UK, if not further afield. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking at it going, I just don't get it. Yeah. And and partly it was it was a premium product, but it was it wasn't aimed at a premium customer. Right, okay. So it says either you need you need a basic product for a basic customer or a premium product for a premium customer, but you know, somebody that doesn't have money is not going to buy a Rolls Royce kind of approach. And it spent a little bit of money with me in the first couple of sessions. And I'd said to him, you need to go out and do some research because I think there's a disconnect here in your view of this product and, and the market's view. You, you know, and before we sit down next, you need to do some market research. And we sat down the following couple of weeks. He'd not done the research. And he came up with these excuses. So I said, look, before we sit down the next time, you need to do the research. And he didn't do it. And the problem was that he, he knew deep down that the research would give him an answer they didn't want. Yeah. And I often use the the kind of analogy with, you know, the X factor with Simon Cowell. 100%, yeah. So, you know, you've got somebody on stage that's screaming like a cat being strangled. And Simon Cowell goes, no, stop, stop. Who told you you can sing? Well, my mum, my boyfriend, my mate. <laughs> yeah. And, and I said to this guy, who's told you you've got a brilliant idea? You know, my mum, my wife, my sister I said, mate, you haven't got a good product. You, it, it's wrong. You, no, I do research. That's why I genuinely, especially talking about mentors, about, and they don't always have to be people you can pick up the phone to, you like books and stuff. Even if you watch that, and it sometimes staggers me hearing those stories because you could watch that, especially if you're business and you're wanting to launch a brand. If you were to watch things like Shark Tank on Netflix or Dragon's Den, they're made for entertainment. But they know what they're talking about. And all the time, it's like, do your research, who you're listening to. You can get some like gold from shows like that. But... Absolutely. If you know what you're looking for. Yeah. But you know, you've got to do the basics. I, you know, I run a marketing company as well. And we talk a lot about do your research before you go to market with a product or a service. Because you finish up thinking you're the most amazing singer. <laughs> and your customers are Simon Cowell going, you can't sing. I'm not buying from you. But of course, it's easy then to say, well, I'm blaming the customer for not selling a product. No, you know, so, so my, my job as a mentor is sometimes to say, do you know what? That's not right. Your baby's ugly. The product is wrong. The price is wrong. The market's wrong. And sometimes I like it and sometimes I don't, but I get called Marmite for a reason. <laughs> about, I think I everyone should be Marmite to be yeah. quite honest. You can't, I, if you're pleasing everyone, you're not doing something right really, are you? Cause you're just correct. hanging around that beige gray kind of area. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, thanks for that, Gary. Um, what was it? You had a quote earlier as well from Warren Buffett. Yeah, it's, no, it's, I mean, I've got loads, but he's, and I think it's particularly appropriate given what's going on at the moment with this coronavirus is that nobody can see you swimming naked until the tide goes out. And the problem is, uh, and I, just to put this into a kind of business in business context and a mentoring context, it's okay to think you've got a great business when the tide's in and you're swimming naked 
But as soon as the tide goes out, and the tide's gone out on a lot of businesses at the moment, it's left them very, very exposed. <laughs> yeah, they are exposed. And the definition of a good business is one that ignites your fire every day, but one that is also future-proof, yeah. one that can stand the test of time should you see a significant downturn in income or profitability. Yeah, I've seen a lot of naked people swimming at the moment. Yeah, there are. Yeah, wear your trunks. Um, I'll definitely be getting in touch again. We've tried, we've tried catching up so many times. Yeah, we need to do that. We're on the doorstep, aren't we? Yeah, this is a great opportunity. How do other people get in touch with you, Gary? If they want to. Um, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, Gary King. This is Gary King. I'm on, I'm on there. So if you search Gary King or Tendo, they can find me there predominantly. Um, I've got a Facebook page as well. So we've got a group called Business Squad on Facebook. It's got about 1,750 members in it. So, um, you know, depending on, you know, what your preferred medium is, LinkedIn or Business Squad on Facebook, either of those. And did you say you were on YouTube or? I, I've got a YouTube account, but it's more, it's more somewhere for me to post my content, to be fair, but I don't, it's just, it's just a library really to me. But uh, I've got a website, so tendo-uk.com. But, you, you know, anybody that Googles me will find me. Perfect. All right. Cheers, Gary. I really appreciate today. That's awesome. Hey, no, my pleasure. Absolutely. Enjoy your weekend. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers, Gary. Thanks. All the best.